Well, let me just say a warm welcome to you and thank you for having me here on this morning. I am normally uh, down the road uh, at St. Luke's where I am on staff there. And so your pastor was kind enough to extend to me the invitation. <laughs> so I'm grateful for the invitation and the spirit of hospitality, which you have shown uh, my wife and your pastor as well. And so I am deeply in indebted uh, by your hospitality and the warmth of which you have shown her uh, and my family uh, will be uh, indebted to you for the kindness that you have showed to her. With that said, with that said, has she ever told you the story of how we met? <laughs> she never told you the story yet? Well, 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 this is going to be important for the rest of the sermon because I need to give you my side of the story. <laughs> now, I need you to know whenever she tells a story, there's always two sides of it. There's always her side. There's always my side. And the truth is, is somewhere in the middle, but always leans over towards my side. <laughs> If she haven't told you by now, we actually met in elementary school. And I was in the eighth grade and she was in the fourth grade. So I barely knew who she was. Uh, but I do know that she had a huge crush on me. I mean, she would, she would blush when I would walk down the hallway and she would wave and giggle as only a fourth grader would. And years went by, years went by, and I was in my last year of seminary. When she wrote a Facebook post about coming to Princeton Theological Seminary, so I figured I would show her around and be her tour guide. After all, we went to elementary school together. I knew she had a crush on me. She giggled and waved, and the least I could do uh, was show her around the seminary. Somebody say amen. 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 So I told her I would meet her at the train station, and I imagine, I imagine that she had been waiting for this moment since the fourth grade. <laughs> I mean, I wonder, I wonder if this is what she pictured in her mind when she was smiling and waving at me in the hallways of Jesu Elementary School. I wonder if she imagined stepping off of that train in the middle of Princeton Theological Seminary, waiting to meet me after all of those years. I wonder if this was the moment that she had been waiting for. Again, this is just my side of the story. <laughs> now, while the context is completely different, the sentiment is the same. I wonder if this is what Joseph imagined when God gave him that dream years ago. After all, this is the moment he has been waiting for. I mean, you spent the last four weeks looking at the life of Joseph, and it all started with a dream. And now he's entrusted in overseeing the food distribution program over the entire kingdom. And on paper, Joseph's life looks great and amazing. He has a family. He's met the love of his life. He has respect. He has power. He's well known. He's come a long way since week one when you first met him as a boy having dreams in the middle of his father's field. But watch how God starts to connect the dots in his life. Watch, watch God's sense of humor. 
Because now there's a famine in the land upon which he is governor over, and it impacted the entire region. And guess what happens? The famine reaches Canaan. And guess who lives in Canaan? His brothers. Now the famine forces his brothers from Canaan to travel to Egypt to buy grain. And I bet they heard about some hotshot in Egypt who could interpret dreams and was going to lead them through this crisis. And while Joseph is passing out grain, he recognizes his brothers. And it's in that moment that he remembers the dream. It finally makes sense. He's starting to get it because this is the first time that we get any inclination that he is remembering the dream that God was able to show him years ago. And it is at this moment that Joseph recognizes them, but his brothers do not notice him. In fact, Joseph plays a few mind games with them. He pretends to be a stranger. He starts talking down to them. He accuses them to be uh, spies. I mean, this is the petty side of Joseph that we've never seen before. But I actually like this side of Joseph. I actually admire this side of Joseph. I mean, but after he's done with this petty behavior, after he's done with this, something happens that we've not seen, that you've not seen over the last few weeks weeks after all of the difficult things in his life. Something happens that you've never seen Joseph do. He breaks down and he cries uncontrollably. I mean, think about that. Think about that. You you didn't hear him cry when he was thrown into a pit. There was no inclination in the text that he cried when Pharaoh's wife lied on him and he was left in prison. There's no, there's no inclination that he started to cry when he was left alone for two whole years and maybe he was forgotten. You get absolutely no emotion, but now he breaks down and cries uncontrollably. Maybe it's at this moment that Joseph lets us know that he has survived his trauma, but he hasn't dealt with it. Maybe at that moment, Joseph shows us that success and fulfilled dreams don't always heal old wounds. In fact, the effects of some dots linger beneath the surface in our lives, beneath the surface of success, and something triggers it, something that we see, something that we hear, and we realize that certain dots still impact us in our lives, and it's hard for us to believe, but elevation doesn't always heal those emotions. In fact, let me prove it. I am a sports fanatic, And I see this all of the time. In fact, whenever your pastor tells you a joke or uses football as an example, 100% of the times I have given her the stamp of approval. (laughs) But don't hate me for bringing up this name. I know I am in the middle uh, of Indiana. And I know that some of you, I die hard Colts fans. I saw the jerseys when I walked in, so don't hate me. Do you promise? Somebody said we promise. But there's a guy, there's a guy by the name of Thomas Edward Patrick Brady. You promise, you promise. There's a, <laughs> there's a guy by the name of Thomas Edward Patrick Brady that has won a lot of championships. 
Some would even say that he is the best quarterback of all times. Some would say that he is the greatest football player of all time. Listen, this is not what I'm saying. I'm saying this is this is this is what they say. But at the start of the year, he was away from training camp for weeks due to personal matters. And now his team is not doing so well, believe it or not. Seven Super Bowls, championships, MVPs, the greatest of all time, as they say, and yet there are some things that success can't solve. I mean, all of those Super Bowls can't solve all of the personal things. I mean, he's a quarterback in his mid-40s with a losing record that's having personal problems, and people act like that's newsworthy. Let me say it again. He's a quarterback in his mid-40s with a losing record that's having personal problems and people act like that's newsworthy. Why? Because we know him for his gifts. We know him for his championships and MVPs and great comebacks and sometimes even beating the Colts. You said you promised. <laughs> But we're great as an audience for people to display their gifts, but not their wounds. We've been taught to hide and to bury them, but maybe there is redemption. There is a redemptive nature in them. Maybe Joseph's tears will give somebody else permission to show their wounds. In fact, the author Henry Nouwen used the term wounded healers. I think to some extent we are all wounded fill in the blanks. We are wounded dreamers, wounded spouses, wounded parents, wounded sons, wounded daughters, wounded people. And yet with his wounds, Joseph is watching God's dream for his life come true. Here he is passing out the wheat to his brothers that are bowing down to him. And that's the dream. He dreamed years ago back in week one that that these wheat and the sun and moon and stars will be bowing down to him. And now he is living that dream with his brothers and this moment bowing down to him. And that's the dream, right? But I think if we stop there, we wouldn't be doing the story any any justice because I don't want you to leave here thinking that just because you dream it, that is going to happen. So let me say this. God is not obligated to help us fulfill our dreams. I'll unpack that in a minute, but God is not obligated to help us fulfill our dreams. I mean, isn't this what we're often told? Dream big. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. If you can dream it, you can do it. If you just work hard enough, your dreams will come true. Dream it and you can be it. For much of our lives, what are we encouraged to do? We are encouraged to dream. What do we tell our kids? That you got to dream and that's great. Keep dreaming. But if we get technical... This was not Joseph's dream for his life. It was God's dream. Because nowhere in the story do we get that this was what Joseph wanted for his life. But somewhere along the way, God's plan for his life became his plan. Nowhere do we find Joseph jockeying for any of these positions. When Joseph was in prison, he does not apply to be the warden. 
He does not ask to be the governor. He does not put up signs on his front yard to campaigning uh, for these positions. All that we know is that he simply wanted to be faithful in whatever role that he had. Joseph spent more time chasing God and his dreams followed him. The invitations kept coming. Joseph reveals one of the most important relationships that we can have in our lives. And this relationship would determine so much. It might determine where you live. It might determine your circle of friends. It might even determine how you spend your time. One of the most important relationships we have is with what? You all are so spiritual and mature over here. God is the easy answer. Yes, that is an important relationship. But another important relationship that we have is with the things that we want and desire. It's the connection we have with the things that we chase. So the critical question we must often ask ourselves is what are we chasing? I'm not suggesting don't be ambitious. I'm not suggesting don't work hard. All I'm suggesting is to be mindful whether it's God's desire or our dream. Because if we're not careful, our dreams become our idols. They become distractions. And we can spend more time chasing a dream than we do desiring God. Some people have almost ruined their families doing what? Chasing dreams. Sometimes we become unhealthy people doing what chasing dreams sometimes we miss some of the most meaningful moments in life why because we're chasing dreams and yet here's what i fear i think we often assume that chasing our dreams becomes synonymous with doing god's will for our lives and then we hold god accountable to making our dreams come true We hold God accountable for what we have conjured up in our own imaginations and in our own minds. So what's the relationship to the things that you desire? Because depending on how you connect the dots determines the stories that we carry with us when that moment arrives. Because now Joseph has the same people that threw him into a pit groveling at his feet. And because of that day, he has been falsely accused and thrown into prison for 12 whole years. Now, you all are very spiritual and mature people. I can tell by your answer. But for those of us who are petty in the room, if we had those people groveling at our feet and we had the power and the title, we would make them do what they did to us. We would find some way to bring the petty back onto them. Somebody say petty. Only a few people said it, but that's but that's all right. I mean, can you imagine the possibility of responses that Joseph could have had in that moment? Imagine the picture he could have seen in those doubts. I mean, Joseph's story could have been, listen, listen, guys, this is your fault. You did me wrong, so now I'm going to do you wrong. His story could have been one of abandonment. His story could have been how people that were the closest to him caused him the most pain. I mean, there are many stories that Joseph's dots could have told in his life. But let me pause and ask the question, what story have you been telling yourself? What story or narratives have been defining you? 
I mean, if you want to know what story is it that you bring to every church, it's the story we bring to every relationship. It's the athlete that's still talking about their big game in high school. I mean, when we show up, what are the stories that we keep bringing with us? Let me suggest to you today that it's possible to reframe or reconnect some dots so that we can tell a different story. I'm not suggesting that we can change the past. I'm not suggesting that we can go back in history and change history. But what I am suggesting is that we can still go back and have a different narrative and create different stories out of the same events in our past. And that's exactly what Joseph does. Joseph looks at his story and and starts to reframe what has happened in his life. Look at the story that Joseph tells and look at how he reframes his own history. I mean, he doesn't go back into the past to change it, but look at how he reframes it. He's talking to his brothers and says, I'm the one you sold into Egypt, but don't be so hard on yourselves. He's reframing. Stop beating yourselves up over that. It's all good because now I can save lives. He's reframing. Now I can use my gifts on a larger scale. Because we've had this famine for two years, but now I see that God sent me ahead of you to save your lives. He's reframing. He even says, I'm here to help you. I thought it was to just help Egypt, but now I see that because you're standing in front of me, I was sent ahead of you to redeem you. Do you hear the refrain? Side note. He meant there's nothing about being lied on. He mentions nothing about being in prison. He mentions nothing about being forgotten. He mentions nothing. All he does is mentions about the good that he was able to do and not the things that have happened to him. Did he go back into the past? Absolutely not. But is he reframing and creating a different narrative in his life? And I know it's easier said than done, but reframing old narratives helps us to have healed memories. It's a it's a way of returning to old dots and reconnecting old events to help draw a different picture. In fact, I learned about this at a retreat in Houston. And the goal of the retreat was to help men develop contemplative practices of spiritual of of spirituality to develop healthier selves. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about myself. There's nothing exciting uh, about what I just said. There's nothing exciting about anything contemplative. There was nothing exciting about that, but I figured there were some guys there I knew. It was Houston, Texas, somewhat of a free trip, so why not do it, right? Why not do it? But yet there was this one exercise that the facilitator broke us all down and invited us to close our eyes, and she said, now imagine a painful experience early in your life that has been ingrained in your mind. So that's what we did. The room got quiet and you could hear a pin drop. Then that's when she messed us up. In fact, in fact, then she said, now imagine Jesus walking into that situation. What do you think he would say to you in the middle of that painful moment? In the room where you could hear a pin drop, you heard one sniffle. 
Then you heard another. Then it was like a room full of Josephs had just came into that space. Because the men that have gone there to develop contemplative practices, to develop healthier selves, all started to cry uncontrollably. We were not going back to the past. We were not going back uh, physically into the past, but we were we were we were writing different narratives of the same events that we had told our we were reframing. Because sometimes the most painful thing is not just revisiting the moment, but it was letting go of the narrative that we had always told ourselves. Because it's hard letting go of the same story that we've been telling ourselves for years. That's why Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. I mean, that narrative that he's been telling himself after all of those years. He said, I wasn't sold, I was sent. I mean, this wasn't your doing, but this was God's moving in my life. He refuses to give his brothers credit for what happens in his life. And right in front of them, he's creating a different narrative. And here's how I know. Here's how I know of the power of the narrative that he created in that moment. Because remember what I said in the beginning. The same man that was left for dead, abandoned, thrown into a pit, incarcerated, and forgotten about for two years. Remember what I said in the beginning. He now has a family. He's met the love of his life. He has respect. He has power. He's well known. After all that he's been through, he still sees himself worthy of God's blessings. He sees He still sees himself worthy of love and being loved and not just continuing the cycle and the narrative that has been so prevalent in his family and in his life. In fact, as part of our retreat, our facilitator had us do this exercise before and after every meeting for the men who went to Houston, Texas to develop contemplative practices For healthier selves, she would have us uh, before every meeting and at the end of every meeting, she would have us close our hands and recite, I am ready and willing to give and to receive love. I am open and willing to receive and to give love. Even when we had to remember those painful moments in our lives, we consistently affirmed, I'm still open and willing to receive and to give love. In fact, I want you to try that with me. Because I imagine that this was somewhat part of Joseph's story as a man, again, who's been abandoned and left and lied on, incarcerated and forgotten about. I imagine that maybe he was in that retreat and as he created that different narrative and said, in the midst of all that has happened to me, 
It's not just about God fulfilling my dreams, but a God who allows me to heal because what a travesty it would be to receive the dream and still be so unhealed and unhealthy that we can't receive it. So how about you put your hands together? And maybe use the space that's comfortable for you, to you and just repeat after me. I am open and willing to receive and give up.